First of all, as a person who had atheist background, I would say things like, the Bible's been translated. How do you know what it's saying is actually valid, right? It's me reading it for myself to realize this is absolute truth. Welcome to the Soul Season Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Avery. And we're talking all things faith, friendship, and finding your purpose through each season of life. Hello, guys. Today, I'm so excited to have on the show Danielle Shaw-Louis. She and I connected really divinely because she went to a conference in Dallas that was all about science and Christianity, and she met one of my really good friends, Madison. And Madison instantly called me and was like, I met this wonderful woman who I think would be an incredible guest on the podcast. And we talked last Friday. She told me her whole story, and I wish I was recording it because... It was just, it's divine the way God has worked in your life. And I was thinking about it earlier today. And like your story is a perfect testament of being in the world and then God transforming you and making you not of the world. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Soul Season Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it's also an honor for us as well. I am so excited to get to meet you. And I know Avery's been talking up your testimony and I just loved getting deep and vulnerable and just hear how God's worked in your life. Yeah. So I grew up, born and raised in New York, grew up pretty much in church all the time. And when I say in church all the time, like out of the seven days in the week, we were in church at least about four of the days in the week, four to five days. It was a Protestant slash Pentecostal type of church very lively and stuff like that. I just was one of those kids, like many of the kids that grew up in church. And it was normal. People that we knew were all people like within our church community. And my mom immigrated here many years back from Haiti. And so we were just part of this, like this, our little community in Brooklyn, New York. And just like living life. And Things really shifted when I was a teenager and my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she became chronically ill. She fought her way through, but after about a year and a half to two years of her illness, she ended up just succumbing and so she passed away. And she was diagnosed when I was 14 and I was 16 when she passed away. It was a really life-defining traumatic experience in my life because my father had already passed away when I was a baby, so I had never even met him. and so. My mom was like my everything. And so when she passed away, it was like my world was just rocked completely. And um, what started happening there too, like that I it took me coming to Houston to even start to understand this and really pack it. But in the community I belong to, just to give you like an idea of it. So it was like Protestant, Pentecostal kind of faith. And it was the kind of church where the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side. So they had some pretty like legalistic ways of obviously like looking at Christianity, looking at the Bible. And when my mom got ill, it didn't dawn on me at the time, but it was like not until she passed away that it was like, wait a second, none of these church members like went to the hospital to pray for her. Like not one of them came to visit her. And even the pastor, my mom like used to literally be one of the ladies that cleaned his house and stuff like that. Like not him, he never once one day went to, the hospital to even pray for my mom or ever said like an encouraging word or anything like that. I didn't realize that until much later, but those are all the seeds that essentially made me doubt the necessity of community. And it made me also look at 
people in the church as being not, or really just the church institution as a whole and the community as something that is not really essential at all, because in a very traumatic period in my life, none of them were there. Just in my own mind and in my own logic was like, why do I need these types of people? Because I saw my mom working hard, tithing and doing things like that. And so I reasoned when I saw all of that and I saw that it yielded to no support during her most vulnerable period of, of her last days. I just reasoned that all of that was just all for nonsense. And I, re- I reasoned just the whole, like God and all of that was just all nonsensical. It's just something that people just, it was kind of like a crutch that people needed to hold on to, but in the end it would fail them is really the conclusion that I came to. And from there, I literally doubted faith, being that the people of the church didn't show up in any kind of supportive way in my life, I reasoned that, wait a sec, there was a God that actually existed and these people claim to know a God. And I've read just a little bit of the Bible where it talks about Jesus being love and Jesus healing and stuff like that. So it was just like, oh, why didn't Jesus heal my mom? But also too, like if Jesus is love, how come these people are supposedly his people didn't show any love? So again, I completely just, all that entire experience worked Christianity and debunk God in my entire like imagination and my being. And so from then on, I just pretty much was an atheist and I life. From 16 onwards, pretty much faith was nowhere near my mind. And then growing up in, and obviously now having to like, like figure out life with my mom not being around and being an orphan now, I had to just figure out a lot of things on my own. And so coming from like an immigrant background where you grow up and education is highly emphasized. I don't know for any immigrant family who doesn't like emphasize education that to the point where it's like almost like obsessive. And so I just knew that no matter what I did, I would have to like continue my studies and do something, continue further myself through education. And so I went on within my life and I decided to go to school and fast forwarding. I went to NYU, got my bachelor's there. And afterwards I went to Carnegie Mellon and got my master's in public policy there. When you're in school and you're getting like all of these, all of these new ideas, obviously, and understanding the foundations of Western civilization and the foundation of all these like different thoughts, these things work to actually further challenge any kind of faith that you may have had in Christianity, which is so deeply rooted in like Western culture, right? And so you think about not to go through like a history lesson, but there's so much in Western history that's from the Enlightenment period down that's pretty much worked to undermine. And a lot of that thought is like in the college arena. And so as a person who was in the social sciences major, I got introduced obviously to Karl Marx and Max Faber and all these different types of ideas. And these were essentially men who had these different alternative ways of thinking about how to create society and how society would best work. And those, the seeds for those thoughts, they become deeply embedded in your mind. And deeply embedded in the way you start to understand society. And also too, for me, like living in a very fast paced city like New York, it's really hard to understand because it's like, unless you grow up there, you really don't get like the energy of like, just how like incredible it is to grow up in a place where there's so much of it that's about movement and so much of it, people are in a rush and they're going into these high rise corporate buildings. And when you grow up with that, you're like, man, what do these people do in these buildings? Like, where are they going? What are they, what's going on in these buildings? And I want to be in these buildings one day and I want to find out. And so surely enough, I ended up working in one of those buildings one day and ended up very much finding out. And so I became part of that life of just like 
flowing fast pace and then pretty much not stopping for almost anything unless like you need to sleep and it becomes in a way like your drug in a way, like your way of life and your way of doing things. And at that point in time, I didn't have any faith. So for me, the way I thought about life was you live life doing the best you can and achieving as much as you can and making as much money as you can, right? So that you can enjoy all these incredible things and live a quasi like jet setter type of life. And so that's how I lived for quite some time. And beneath the surface of all of that was, I was still like a little girl that just really needed healing. And in New York, the frenetic pace that it runs at, you can't really stop long enough to actually really even think or even contemplate on how to get something like healing and how to like get something that the pace of life just blocks out in a way because you have 10 million things going on. You know what I mean? So I ended up working in government. And I became a public policy analyst. And so it was like, man, when I saw issues, domestic issues, issues in education and issues like, like in healthcare and issues and just so many things that are just like more local to us here in the country. And so I said, you know what? I think I want to focus on education. And after I graduated from Carnegie Mellon, left Pittsburgh, went to work at the State Department of Education in New Jersey. And I was a policy and data analyst there. And that was like pretty interesting and very rich work because it, opened my eyes to so many things in terms of just how policy actually really matters. Most people vote based on personality of whoever is running for office. And the actual right thing to do is actually like look at policy. And it took me going to public policy school and then working as a policy analyst where I saw actual policies like in play. And I was actually pretty mortified by, by some of the things I saw. It was that that would probably be a whole different show. It was it. it it was there that I just started to have this huge awakening of how consequential policy is. Like, I feel like even just saying that is just such an understatement because I've always told people, people come and go, but policy stays. I'm curious, and, policy, um, what, what party were you working for? I worked in government and at that point in time, like I, I didn't think of myself in terms of a Party. Growing up in New York, I had done things, voted in liberal ways and things like that. But it literally took me, like, again, going to public policy school and working in government to see, like, in actuality, how much liberal policies had failed. And I just started to have this awakening and I just started to shift. And at that time, I decided and I would have conversations with friends. And I'm like, you know what? I am officially an independent because the data that I was looking at was undeniable. So I wasn't like completely sold to completely conservative side yet, but it was like, but I knew that the liberal side was just not necessarily right. I was one of the people that like need to look at the data and then make my decision going forward. And fast forward after that opportunity, after working in government, an opportunity opened up like in the South at Rice University to work at a think tank. Long story short, they wooed me with Southern Hospitality. And so they got me to the South. I mean, come from New York where you see 10 million people walking down the street to like being in Houston and you don't see a soul walking down the street. You're like, what happened? And you don't realize that it's because. It's so hot and it's so humid that nobody walks. And it was like, an, it was just a very interesting, just obvious culture shift, but it wasn't so much outside of Rice. It was a culture shift, but within Rice, because the institution is, and the people that I worked with were quite liberal, it almost wasn't a cultural shift. And then I just kept the awakening that I was already having 
just continued to just blossom even more and, uh, until it got to a point where after being at Rice for a little bit, I was like, you know what? I can no longer do this. I need to take some time off. And I ended up taking a sabbatical where during the sabbatical was a pivotal time for me to really just be able to slow down. Like I was looking for truth and I knew that now I had a breather room to like really explore truth. And so I took a year where I was like, I'm reading the Bible from beginning to end and I need to know if this is the truth. And I took that year where I just read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and I was just like in awe. I was flabbergasted. And this sabbatical period just turned out to be such an incredible period in my life. Again, that's that in itself was like another show because I just had an incredible long encounter with the Lord. It was there that I felt like the questions that I had, what I was looking for in terms of the meaning, the healing, the purpose, understanding, so much more were just all addressed during this sabbatical. The Lord put his finger on so many different things like during my mom's illness and after she passed away because I developed this thought where it was just like, you know what? I got to do what I got to do for myself. No one's going to look out for me. Matter of fact, I'm not even interested in community. I'm not interested in joining it because in the end, it won't show up for you. Spare yourself the disappointment. Look out for yourself and just do what you need to do for yourself. And it was important that the Lord put his finger on it because I very much could have been in that space of just like, okay, I read the Bible. I don't necessarily need church. I don't necessarily need to be around believers. Like why? That fellowship with believers, that's pretty important. And so the Lord knew that. And it's like he had to put his finger on that particular issue to, to really start to address this issue in my life and have me receive the healing, but also the forgiveness, really the forgiveness firsthand to release those people and to forgive them for just whatever they weren't able to really do at that time. And in that release, I just started to receive from the Lord. And it was from there that I was able to start to inch my way into being part of a church and being part of a community and things like that. And again, this sabbatical period, it was just such a, I think the importance of just slowing down in a society, especially like America, where things move so fast is probably one of the most rejuvenating things that we could ever think about even doing for ourselves. Like it truly is a gift, right? Like I took that break and obviously I didn't get salary from that. So that was like financially, I covered all that stuff. But what I got from that was far greater than anything financially that I put out. You know what I mean? You can't put a price tag on encountering the Lord. You can't put a price tag on deepening your faith. You can't put a price tag on your roots going deeper. And that's so important, especially in this day and age where there's so much deception. There's so much superficial faith. And then I met some of those people, unfortunately, like even in the church community, where they've been there in the church community for so long. It's kind of like the whole idea of their faith went an inch deep, but it was like a mile wide. Yeah. And for me, like that opportunity that I got during this sabbatical, it was like an opportunity for my faith to go a mile deep and be an inch wide. You know what I mean? coming out of that, I just, I feel like a true rebirth in a way. I used to care about what people thought about me and care about all these things that in the end, none of those things matter. Only thing that matters is what God thinks about. Me. And I'm so deeply rooted in that now that it's probably one of the most 
freeing and liberating things that's ever happened to me. And that we're in a period right now where that's exactly what we need. We need people to stop being so bound by all these things that don't matter and be bound by the Lord's opinion, which is the only thing that truly matters. Preach! Yes. For young people, especially, that's so important. We're living in a world where social media has completely taken over our lives and being liked on social media is is what we've now substituted for like popularity and substituted for our sense of self-esteem. And I'm just completely just, I don't even know how to explain, but I like don't care. And but more than that, I just really see the benefit and the passion of it. Why it's so important for us to know God of the Bible, the Jesus in the Bible, because there's no way that you can fall in love with God, fall in love with Jesus if you don't know him who is revealed in the Bible. Like if you're talking about him, but you don't know him, you don't know his word, which reveals him, then I'm like, what are you talking about? What was your biggest or a takeaway from reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? First of all, as a person who had the atheist background, I was one of those people who would say things like, the Bible's been translated so many different times. Like, how do you know if it's true? Like, if what's, what it's saying is actually valid, right? And that's something that I actually used to pose to Christians that I met when I was atheist and I was agnostic, and they never could answer that question. And it's me reading it for myself to realize this is absolute truth. When I read it, I understood it as one from Genesis to Revelation. The entire Bible is one long love letter from God. One long love letter, me personally, to humanity, Israel. Like it is one long love letter for a book to have been written 14, over a span of 1400 years by multiple different authors and to be that cohesive. There is no other book in the world. I researched. There's no other book in the world that that can even come anywhere near that claim. There's no other book. And so the more I started to look at the backs of the Bible and every single wall that I had at that time had broken down because I realized that God was a God of love. And the God that's in the Old Testament is not a God that's different from the one in the New Testament. It's the same God, same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Like God was extremely merciful in the Old Testament, which some people tend to think that, no, no, he's pretty merciful. You read the entire book and you just see his character, like he's quite stable in his character and he gives ample opportunity. He's so full of mercy. He's so full of grace and, and, it's, and he's so full of compassion. And one of the things that won me over was a lot of the things that he had to say about orphans and widows. And for me, that being so personal to me, like I realized because there was some really wrong thinking that developed my mom passed away because I just couldn't reason and couldn't understand why, why I had to be an orphan. And I actually thought that God was punishing me. And I lived that way for quite some time, believing that wrong belief, reading the Bible mantled that. And it showed me that no God was not punishing me. God actually loved me. Look, God loved me deeply. And not only that, God cares deeply for orphans. He cares deeply for widows. He cares deeply for the downtrodden. He just cares deeply for his creation. This is why he incarnated himself to come into the world. He could have just started all over, but 
he decided and said that redemption is a path that he wanted to embark upon. And when the Bible talks about like these things literally being foolishness, or if you're just thinking about this from just a mental standpoint, it does sound like foolishness because it's like we live in a society where we don't salvage anything. We don't repair things. We throw things away. But God is not like that. God is in this of like redeeming and it's counterintuitive to our modern way of Yeah, that's so good. I love that. The business of redemption. Business of repairing. I've never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, and it's hard for us to think about it. We're now living in a society that's in full-blown cancel culture mode. That, yeah. There's nothing redemptive about cancel culture. It's totally about throwing it away, throwing it in the garbage, like discarding it. It's There's nothing redemptive about it at all. There's nothing re- reparative about it at all. But yet, here it is, God is, I take things like I put it back into pieces. That is amazing. And I love hearing your perspective as somebody who just craves knowledge and craves, like you, you're a science background, like you have so much education and education is your heart and your passion. And for somebody who maybe doesn't connect with the Holy Spirit through emotion and through feelings, like, but through knowledge, what advice do you have for somebody who maybe hasn't opened the Bible and thinks it's all bogus foolishness? I know that at one point you were atheist. So how would you encourage somebody who is needing that knowledge and needs to just read it for themselves to understand like what would be your first step in like offering that to somebody the scientific way right or i wouldn't even say just like the logical common sense way of going about anything is before you debunk it like you need to look at it right and so for me i took a comparative religion course to understand all these systems what do they believe but then afterwards also too i specifically took a course in the monotheistic faiths because the monotheistic faiths are like so unique because they are really the minority among all belief systems because they believe that there's one god the many religions around the world believe that there are many gods and so I was like, okay, let me look at these monotheistic faiths. Like, why do they believe that there is only one God? And so these monotheistic faiths are the Abrahamic faiths. They are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And so in taking that course and like really exploring what was said and understanding the different thought processes behind each belief system, that also gave me some framework for things. But again, you can do all of that with your mind, but it really takes an encounter with the Lord for things to really become clarified. and. I just love the verse in the Bible where, you know, and this is repeated over and over again, where the Lord himself says, if you are searching for me, I will reveal myself to you. I will answer you. God is not a God who's looking to actually hide himself from us. Like he couldn't because it's like we live in this earth that literally has his DNA is all over this. You look at creation, you look at a mountain, you look at rivers, you look at any good thing, anything like his DNA is all over that. Right. But we've been watching truth. We've been wired to seek him. We've been wired to want to understand why we're here. What meaning this life has? Why is it suffering in the world? Why do we die? These really big questions that like can really keep us up and and keep us awake at night. And for me, it happened to be that once my mom passed away, like I like the question of like death was like in my mind that, whoa, one day I'm going to die. My mother has died. What happens when you die? What happens after you die? Is that just it? And what does life mean while you're here, you're living it? it, it are you supposed to, is there some kind of meaning that you're supposed to like extrapolate from this? So again, these are all questions that are very big questions that we are wired to seek answers to. And so I feel like 
even for the person who is much more like academically wired or you can do what I did, where it's like you take a comparative religion course, you start to explore these different things and you start to look. But the interesting thing out of all of that is that you'll see that Christianity out of all these different faiths is just so left field, like different. It's the only faith where it says that God became flesh. Like no other faith says that. Like all the other faiths, you have to appease and you have to do something, you know what I mean? Because the gods are mad and you have to appease and do something to get the gods on your side. Whereas Christianity is like, you don't have to appease. Like God actually humbled himself and it was all just for one thing, all for love. And it's, again, it's the craziest thing. It doesn't make sense for people who are trying to like make it sound logical. (laughs) Because it is an emotion. It's a relationship. And I think that's what's different about Christianity versus a lot of religions is that your relationship with God is all he wants with you. Like he wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to pray with you. He just craves us. And I haven't done a comparative religion course, but for based off what you're saying, it sounds like you had to earn love in these other faiths or in these other... There be no love in the other faiths. There's no conversation of love at all. God, there's no such thing as a God loving. You look at Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, you look at Islam, no matter which faith you look at, there's no concept of a God loving you. No, none. Wow. Christianity, it's own thing. And you're like, love, like. And it's definitely hard, I think, having grown up and being having such church hurt. I would say that you had a terrible experience of losing family and having no support and no community and feeling disappointed by so many humans that didn't show you love. So being able to wrap your head around the concept of God loving you and wanting this relationship with you and bringing the Holy Spirit into your life and saying, hey, you need healing. You need me. You need rest from this hustle and bustle life in New York. You need sabbatical and time with me. Here's the Bible. (laughs) go read it. That's just such a Holy Spirit situation. And it's just so cool to hear his story. I loved it. It was because he loved us that all three of us are on this conversation right now. Like we're having this conversation. And it was the joy for each and every one of us coming to him. That is why he endured what he endured. Religion is man's attempt to reach God, right? Every other thing is how can I reach God? I just want to do these things and go to the right steps. But Christianity is God's attempt to reach man by becoming man. It absolutely is. And again, anybody who is who wants to do the research themselves, you look at it, you will see the marked difference between every other religious faith in the world and Christianity. And Christianity just stands out like a sore thumb because it is the only belief system where you actually have love even written within that. And the idea that super being that created everything would incarnate himself and become flesh. That's unheard of, absolutely unheard of. And but yet, even with all of that, doesn't necessarily mean that you come to faith just having knowledge. It's the same way as you don't just, you can read the Bible because there are people who are atheists who read the Bible and they read it to try to like disprove and discredit it. You can read the Bible and still not come away with the right reasoning because for you to, understand it beyond just reading it you need holy spirit to literally open your eyes to it because he's the author of it i'm curious about your first encounter with the holy spirit and what that was like 
I remember like when I received the Holy Spirit and the first time I spoke in tongues, it was like weird. Oh my gosh, like what's happening? There were just these moments that I would have where I would be painting and that's usually like a three hour type of session minimum. And within that session, and I didn't understand it fully then, but I would hear it was the Lord, Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It's like he was like the teacher that was over, like, like watching over me as I'm like drawing or painting. And he would just be affirming me. He would be saying, you're so much better than you think you are. Why don't you try? If I was like struggling with an area, he's like, why don't you try doing that mark? You know what I mean? Those are the ways that I was like encountering Holy Spirit early on that no one was like telling me that it was like Holy Spirit, but I was encountering the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? So for me, again, I'm like, I'm going to point back to the Bible. This is why it's so important to read the Bible because reading the Bible gives language to understand the aspects of God in the revelation of the Father, in the revelation of the Son, and in the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It helps you to understand the roles that he um, functions in each of them, right? Like everything for me has the anchoring point is the Bible because I can have all these dreams and I can have all these supernatural things that's happening, but I feel like the filter to even understand those things and to understand if it's coming from God, or if it's coming from the demonic realm, or if it's just coming from my soulless realm, I need the Bible as like my anchoring foundational point to then help me to discern. And so I'm just like such a huge proponent of just like believers knowing the word and from there, letting God speak to them through the word and letting the Holy Spirit reveal things to you. Like, for instance, just last week was Purim. And it's very customary for Messianic and people under Judaism to, during that time, read the entire book of Esther. And so I just had a ball just like rereading Esther. And the amazing thing about the Bible is that just because sometimes two people could say, oh, I read it once before and I read it like when I was like in seminary and I don't have to read the whole Bible again. What are you talking about? No, like the Bible, even if you've read the Bible through and through from Genesis to Revelation once, you need to read it again because there's so many new revelations and new things that the Lord opens your eyes to at certain points in your life. And so even this time around for me, I was reading the book of Esther and I was completely geeking out over like the historical aspect of it because this is obviously written under Xerxes' reign and and how that connects to the book of Daniel and how that connects to the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. Like these books were like written not too far from each other around like a very critical period in Jewish history. And as I was reading it, seeing like the parallels in even how Esther is almost like a parallel of us who are the bride of Christ, right? She's undergoing those beauty treatments before she is betrothed to the king. And isn't this life what we're living, like us undergoing a beauty treatment before we are betrothed to our bridegroom, the king? And even the fact that the Bible specifically in the book of Esther mentions that one of the things that was part of her beauty treatment was using myrrh oil, like the oil of myrrh. And so myrrh was like one of the oils that was brought to the baby Jesus, like when he was born. And Everywhere when you historically look at myrrh, myrrh in the ancient world was always used for embalming. It was always used in death. And 
you think about it. So Esther, she's about to be married. So why is she like going through beauty treatments with Murr? It's like technically, even for us as the bride of Christ, we are going through beauty treatments with Murr. We're dying to self every day. We're dying to our flesh. We're dying to self every single day. That was like a mind-blowing experience that you just said. <laughs> we're in a beauty treatment where we're dying. Sorry, I'm so dramatic sometimes, but I no. over here mind-blown at what you're saying, and it's so good. As I was reading, I was like, because I've seen certain things in the book before, but as I reread it this time, it's like, again, like my eyes would, Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see things even more because I knew she underwent a year of beauty treatments, but I didn't even remember that Mer was involved until I read it again this time. And I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? And again, we're dying to self every day as his people. And, and this is a beauty treatment that we're undergoing. Sometimes, although sometimes life doesn't feel like a beauty treatment. Let's be clear about that, right? It doesn't feel like a beauty treatment all the time when you're dying to self, right? Like it actually has days where it really sucks, right? Because it goes against what you want naturally. But we're undergoing this beauty treatment but in the end, we're going to, you think about how you're going to smell to your bridegroom at the end of that, right? How you're going to look, how your skin's going to look, how radiant you're going to be and how ready you're going to be to literally enter into that new phase of life as no longer just being prepared for the bridegroom, but actually now being betrothed and being the bride and being a wife. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The preparation that we have here on earth is the preparation for being the bride when we make it to heaven. You're using this time to be in this preparation and like doing all these beauty treatments and dying to your flesh every day. You're going to be in heaven and the most beautiful gown and have the most extravagant like makeup and hair and just imagining like the beautiful day of your wedding. But if you're on this earth and you're not dying to flesh, it's like showing up on your wedding day in your sweats and a hair in a bun. It's like you showing up sloppy to the most important day of your life. And that is exactly why it's so important to die to our flesh and to choose to walk with God daily and to choose to be in the word daily. And I think the way that you explained it with the myrrh just puts it all together that this is literally what he's trying to tell us. And this is why we're here on earth is to be chiseled and to be sharpened and that's why we have these communities to help us and hold us accountable to that and you obviously had a very eye-opening awakening is what you've been calling it yeah how did you transition into this new life and be born again in this new life like you moved to texas you've changed your not only political views but your religious views like your whole life transformed and now she works in ministry i might add i need to hear about this transition process how did you evolve i want to hear that process yeah, even in, in, in the suddenness of it, it was like, there was still moments where, wait, what's happening? Lord, what's the plan? Give me a PowerPoint. And it was like, here's a PowerPoint. Have faith. And by the way, that's part A. And part B is when you can't have faith, have more faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just like, I would say that I took the sabbatical, not knowing, like, not really knowing where things were going to go. And that was like, just to paint a picture of me, like, I'm a go-getter. I love to achieve and all that kind of stuff. So for me, and I was, I'm very financially conscious. So for me taking a sabbatical and I'm like hyper responsible. So it was like the idea of not working just sounds like the most irresponsible thing to do. So the, I, so w when the thought of taking a sabbatical even came in and I felt at peace with it, like, what is this? 
is crazy. What is this? Like, where's this coming from? And, and it just didn't make any sense to me, but I decided to go with it. And what I thought would be just like a year actually turned out to be four and a half years. And first of all, it was so incredible that I was just like, Lord, I think I never want to go back to whatever lunch. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Bye-bye to that. Beat me up, Scotty, Lord. Because I, I mean, I really didn't fully know like how to even, because what I was experiencing with the Lord, that encounter was so rich. And you're talking about, I had the privilege of literally just, it was just me and God, focus. Me and God, focus every day. He t- if he told me to get up, go this place, I got up and I went there. Like after I got water baptized, for instance, he was like, go to Costa Rica. I want to show you something. I got up, booked my flight, went to Costa Rica. And what he showed me was amazing. What he showed me was absolutely amazing. The day I got baptized, like I flew out directly after baptism and went to Costa Rica. And I was like, okay, what is this that the Lord wants to show me out here? And it wasn't until a few days in, and I was like whitewater rafting. And as I'm like paddling on the raft, like I just hear him just say, look up. And so I normally wear glasses. I have astigmatism. And what I felt at that moment was like, I looked up and it's like when you go to the optometrist and it just like, he just zoomed my eyes in and, and sharpened my view and sharpened my focus and, and see as far as the eye could see it. It was like crisp and it was clear. It was amazing. All of a sudden I started to see shades of green, like from trees that I'd never seen before in my life. I started to see colors that I'd just never seen before. And I was just looking around and he goes, I created all of this. And I began to look at the colors and you have to understand as a person who does art, like color, like most people, like the lay person doesn't appreciate how complicated and intricate color is until like they're about to paint a wall in their house and they like go to Home Depot and they're like, whoa, I didn't know that there were this many shades of blue. And so when he zoomed my eyes in to see like the chroma, to see the pure color, what he created and how rich those colors were and how vibrant and how like the scales of them. I was shocked. I was in awe. And of course, like for a person having an artistic creative background, like I was just in awe. And he was like, I created all of this. And the richness of it and the beauty of it was just like, I was like shaken up afterwards. And then the next day I saw like a Jesus lizard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, I'm done. Did you say lizard? Jesus lizard. They walk on water. And that's what they're called? Yeah, that's why they call them a Jesus lizard because they walk wow. on water. You were teaching me so many new things. Like I saw, matter of fact, it was running on water. Didn't sink, didn't fall, nothing. During the sabbatical, I learned a lot about obedience. I learned about just a lot about like, he said to just get up and go. Don't question it, just go. And I needed that period too, because I feel like it's almost like you think about almost like you think about the book of Hosea, where Hosea had to take his wife, Gomer, had to take her to the wilderness, where it's like in the wilderness, you think about it, that's where you get stripped down. There's nothing like the wilderness is not about all this distraction, which, hey, I love distraction. As a New Yorker, I love distraction. Okay. And during that sabbatical, it was just such a stripped down period where it was just, again, it was me and the Lord. And I got up, I did what he, he led me here. I went there. He led me there. I went there. I'd be in the Bible at times, like for 12 hours a day. It was such an amazing time. Now that I'm like looking back on that, 
it's like he was practically almost like preparing me for going into ministry. Tell us about your ministry and the ministry that you do. It's evangelistic and it uses television and uses various media to get the word of God out. And it's funny because it's a ministry that's sown into my life. And so I've gotten fruit from it. And so here I am now, like pouring into it and putting fruit that I've gotten from it, like like back into it. And at first, I, I do have to say that I was actually very skeptical because although I had forgiven again what happened in the past in terms of ministry, in terms of church hurt, the idea of actually now being around nothing but church people all the time, I'm not even going to lie to you, it scared me. And it really took like a big step of faith for me to just like, just trust God and trust that he could keep me because, you know, ministry is not perfect because people are not perfect, but you have to just believe that and know that you do it for God. Like you're waking up every day and you are working for the father. And that's a big thing for me because so much of my identity is wrapped up in being a daughter, like, you know. Even like when my mom was alive, like so much of my identity was wrapped up being a daughter as the daughter of an immigrant woman who was working so hard, like a lot of what I wanted to do in my life was to make her proud, right? Coming out of a sabbatical that he would prepare a place for me in ministry where, again, like my identity of being a daughter and wanting to please my father can be realized. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense to you guys. You're speaking. To the choir. I can relate to every sentence that you just said. I've been passionate about talking about identity and like realizing that you are a child of God and realizing your identity is in him. And your time here on earth is for him and for bringing people to him. Like, it's so crazy how many people walk around so lost looking for their purpose in life. And when you can simplify it and just say it's literally to love God and to love people. It's just, it simplifies your whole life concept. And I think it's so cool to see that, like how he's transformed your identity through your pain and helped you to find your way. And not only your way, but helps so many others to find theirs. Yeah, it's been an experience. And, and ministry is not easy because ministry, compared to a lot of the other jobs that I've had and positions that I've held, I liken it to St. Francis of Assisi, what he said. He said something that was so poignant to me. He said, when you work with your hands, you're a laborer. When you work with your head and your hands, you're a craftsman. But if you work with your head, your hands, and your heart, you're an artist. We've been saying it so often in the last few weeks that we're called to co-create with our creator and we're all put on this planet to create. Say it one more time for the people in the back. St. Francis of Assisi said, he who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. But he who works with his hands, his head, and his heart is an artist. And that's what the Lord, I feel like, is calling all believers to be. He's calling us to be artists, to essentially, like you just said, about literally being co-creators with him. We hope you found this episode valuable. If so, please share with a friend or post on your story and tag us. If there's a season you're currently going through, slide into our DM. We're bringing the social back into social media. So send us a DM at Soul SEN Podcast. Thanks for pressing play. We can't wait to hear from you.